We're in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, but let's do a brief little review of verses 13 through 15. So when God said love and hate it, as we talked about, he was not referring personally to Jacob or Esau. He was referring to their offspring or descendants, the tribes. Remember, as Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed the 12 children, and he prophesied what would happen to their children and what they would be like. It wasn't personally to them. Basically, it meant the sins of the fathers and things they inherit pass through the parents, but they can be altered or stopped. They're not guaranteed, but it's the influence of the said nature and also at the same time God's choices to show mercy or not in certain cases. So he did not personally hate Esau. Some scholars translate it. They say, Jacob have I love, but Esau have I love less. But again, he wasn't talking about them. He's talking about his choices for various ministries, whether they send or not. In some cases, he wants certain people for certain things, and he overrides man's decision. And we're going to see he override Abraham's will, and he overrode Isaac's will, uh, what they personally wanted. Uh, we'll find out Abraham wanted a Shmuel to have the blessing. And remember, he asked God. God said no, but he blessed him. But that's God's business. And when he talked about this before they were even born, he's speaking again of their descendants and a certain way he was going to reveal himself to one class and the other way was going not. He chose them for various purposes. But people run with this as if God's predestined that he hated Esau from the beginning. They're ignorant people that don't know Scripture and they don't know God. As we get into the predestination election, they're the same type people. People who tell you God predestined certain people to heaven to hell before they were born, they make God to be a monster and they're under a demon spirit. They misrepresent God more than anybody does because the whole of Scripture is not presenting that way. And God in both Testaments, he said it's not his will that anyone perish. If it's not his will, then why does he predestine someone to hell before they're born? See, it's all a bunch of nonsense, and it's inspired by the devil to make people think that God's a lot different than he is. He has common sense, and he has choices, and he can extend mercy or he cannot in certain cases. But overall, he doesn't do this before people fail and sin against him. He can honor those who honor him, and he can dishonor those who don't. But initially, God is no respecter of persons. So he doesn't look at a person and say, I like this person, I don't like that one. And it's not like that with God. But he has choices, and he can make choices, and yet he's fair, just, and all he does. So people twist scripture, as they did Paul's writings, to their own destruction. You make God out to be a monster, you're going to end up in hellfire. You don't need to be teaching anything if you don't really know Scripture. Okay, so we have people preaching a lot of nonsense, have no business. And I see the effect it's had on Pearson. I knew a person years ago, and some ultra-Calvinistic person said he was predestined and elected even when he wasn't a Christian. So he comes to the conclusion, well, I have a 50-50 chance. So I'm just going to live like I want to. And if God has predestined me to heaven, I'll go anyway. 
Let's say he never bothered with religion. So he was blind and led by the blind. And his end is going to be destruction. He'll find out he's not elected by the way he lived and acted and didn't come to the Lord. Okay? So these uh, individuals, even when the sins of the fathers, as Jehovah said, and we talked to Moses, he said, I'm loving kindness and gracious. But at the end, he says, but by no means clearing the guilty, he's just. Visiting the sins of the fathers and so forth, this is the inheritance sin that old nature we inherit. But we're not confined to it as if it can, because God would not tell people don't do this if they couldn't do it. See, people talk a lot of nonsense as if God's playing some guessing game. If he tells you not to do something, you have the ability not to do it in the law and in the grace that he gives to all people. He expects them to do right. And they cannot be perfect if they're sinners. They cannot do a lot of things, but he don't expect that. As we see in Scripture, he winked at the nations. That meant when he had the privileges with the Jews, he sort of bypassed a lot of the nations and then had to hold them to a higher standard. He overlooked. That's what it meant. But then when the gospel uh, came, he said he's not winking anymore. He wants everybody, when they hear the gospel, to respond to it. He is not judging people because they don't hear the gospel. That's another fallacy and false doctrine. I've heard people preach to God, oh, we got to go get these good people. We want to see them go to hell. Good people don't go to hell. Uh-huh. And see, and he makes allowances. He judges those by their conscience, the light they have. He's always done that. And if Jesus came in the new covenant and all of a sudden you're damned because you don't hear the gospel, then the Old Testament's better. It's better to be a Gentile under the Old Covenant because they were righteous and they didn't even have the law and some of them lived righteously before God. They did not live perfectly. They had the sin nature. They did not walk and God made provision. So again, this often these gospels are being preached are false gospels. They make you shed tears because this poor woman, she's tried to be good all of her life, but because she didn't hear the gospel, she's going to hell now. Now you've got to hurry up and give money so we can send tracts to her. Uh, it's the doctrine of the demon is what it is. Okay? I have no tolerance for it. Jesus, James, Paul called people like that fools. And they didn't allow novices to teach. People with zeal, that's fine. But zeal is not spirituality wanting to do good. They can't produce anything if they're not teach it and ground it right. And if they're not following the Lord, what they do is basically spiritually vain. Okay. And so we see that God deals with people fairly in every, some people call them dispensation. Some don't like that word. Well, he did deal with people differently before Christ and he did not require as much. He did not judge as much. And yet when the gospel came, it gave great grace and great privilege. And then the Bible tells us if you've got this grace of Jesus and then you backslide or you forfeit it, he says your punishment will be greater. Peter said it's better not to have known the Lord than to turn your back on him later. See, you're going to answer for the extra grace that was extended. See, you can be gracious to anybody. But if he gives it, you better respond to it. 
then justice comes into play ultimately. Okay? See, people need to understand that. So it's not whimsical with God. He's overall just, fair in everything he does under every so-called dispensation. He looks and he observes the heart. He never expected perfection for people. But he knows he has to deal one day with the sin, and he did through Jesus Christ. And he covered much under the law and under conscience before Christ by the blood to the special people. Uh, people say, well, you know, they read Paul, they say, well, the Gentiles were without hope. They translate to mean they're going to hell. It is not. It means they did not have the hope and the privileges that the Jews had. But we have righteous Gentiles after the law, and they were considered righteous by God. And they lived and followed their conscience and their inner law, which is the law of God in the person. And they obeyed it. And of course, some failed, and they did what they could to make amends. And God considered all this. But in itself, it doesn't justify. And so that's why the Lord's and Isaiah said, is none righteous, no, not one. But it didn't say they were all totally depraved and damned to hell. See, that's ultra-lying gospels that demons help them preach because it's not the truth. Okay, as we've said before, when the influence, I call it the sins of the fathers, when we inherit things from our parents and grandparents, we inherit part of the corrupt nature, the endemic nature, and some of the flaws and weaknesses we're more susceptible in that area. It takes different branches. But it doesn't mean it's fixed. Some people don't fight and bother with the love of money. Many people do. But some people don't even tempt them. It's just not the thing that bothers them. So they don't really have much to overcome. But other people, they're greedy. They're born into greedy families and that part of that system. They pick up, but they have to resist it and overcome it. And a perfect example, as we said, was with Cain. In the beginning, remember Cain was displeased and he didn't like Abel and eventually murdered him, but he was warned by God, remember? And God told him when he rejected his offering for whatever reason, it was either the wrong offering, but we know his heart was wrong. And so that was the main principle. But he said, God said to Cain, if you do not well, then sin lies at your door. So it implied it's like a crouching animal, a beast. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. That applies to every mankind. Everybody, even that are not Christians, haven't heard the gospel. God requires them to do this. They've been given the inner law, the conscience, and they can follow it to a great degree, or they can resist it. It can be defiled. It can be blinded. But initially, God gives that conscience to guide people, and they should be, and even people have not known the Lord in many places, and in the past, they did wrong things, but they tried to amend. They knew it was wrong. They tried to make amends where they could, because their conscience told them they'd done something wrong, and they didn't ignore their conscience. They didn't forget it, and so they were considered righteous according to God. He wasn't looking for details, and again, he winked, he overlooked. 
But those under grace, he expects more from. They've given more privileges. They've given the power of Christ and dwelling them. He expects more out of them. And their judgments can be greater if they fail. And if they turn away from the Lord and they don't serve the Lord, and if they're cut off from the vine, their punishments can be far greater than people in the Old Testament that didn't know the Lord, okay? But he didn't listen to God's warning, and what did he do? That crouching beast, it was Satan tempted him, the spirit, he exercised murder, and he got Cain to murder his brother. He inspired him. But see, Cain didn't have to do it. God told him that, said you can rule over it. He chose not to, okay? So now in verse 16, so it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God chooses people for different things, and everybody is born with a corrupt nature, and they can resist it to some degree, and God honors it. But when those sin against him after his patience, some he chooses not to extend mercy. That is his privilege. But like I say, if he does, they will answer to a lot. Justice will come in. He's fair in a lot of his dealings. But he can make decisions. But he cannot go against his own attributes and nature. So when we think he can do things arbitrarily, or I just won't like that. He's, he's not that way. They make God to be foolish. He can't do anything foolish. He does everything within the character of love and patience and long-suffering. He tells us this. So he's not going to move outside of who he is, but he can limit. And even with Christians, he gives different callings, different measures of faith. That's his right to do that. Some people are gifted higher for teaching, and some are not as gifted, but they're still gifted, and they're called to do something. And so it, there's levels and according to the measure of faith. Well, that is God's decision. He can give it as a reward, or he can say, I'm going to give this and hold him accountable for it. That's his right to do this. So a man's desire in those cases is not of God's concern. It's God's plans. He does things like that that he wants to. So the blessing, at first, when Abraham wished and willed, what did he want? After all the promises, and he was getting older and Sarah, he said, let Ishmael stand before you. He wanted God to give the parental blessing and the prophecy eventually to Ishmael. He wanted him to fulfill God's plan. And God said, no. He said, but I'll bless Ishmael. He had nothing against Ishmael. And what did he do? He did bless him. Oh, we see that. He said he made 12 tribes come from him. So he didn't have nothing personally against Ishmael. It was his plan. And who he was going to run the plan through is his business. He can choose who he wants. And he overrides the norm when he wants to. Even the law was established to do certain things, but once in a while, God overrode it to the higher law. Like when Solomon was dedicating the temple, he extended the sanctuary and the court and had the Levites helping the priests. There were so many sacrifices. Well, that was never done according to the law. But God instituted it, and, and Solomon did it before him, and he honored it. Then later on, years later, another king got so he served the Lord, but he got a little proud. 
And he decided to go into the temple and offer offering before the Lord. And the priests withstood him, 80 of them. And they said, you can't do this. And he got mad at them. See, he was trying to take their office. He thought he could be Solomon. And immediately the Lord struck him with leprosy. And he began to run and the priests were pushing him out of the temple because God would have killed him. See, he did that on his own initiative. He didn't get no permission from God. He was anointed to be a king. He was not anointed to be the high priest of the priestly calling. So again, sometimes the higher law comes into play. Jesus said faith would override certain things. And he honored them according to their faith. And he left it like that. He said, let it be according to your faith. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? So everything wasn't preordained by Lord. He has reason. He looks and he considers. He considers people. He deals with them. Often he condescends to deal with them on a human term. But he far superior, and he already knows things. Adam and Eve were hiding because they stand. And of course, he asked the question, oh, where are you? Well, he knew where they were. He was trying to get them to come out and start dealing with what they did. Who told you you were naked? Well, he knew who told them. Their sinful nature was opened up. They had knowledge now, the wrong kind of knowledge, and knowledge they're sinners. And they were uncomfortable and fearful of God. And that's what sin does to people. So we see that he condescends to deal with us. He asks us questions he already knows. It gives us opportunity to discuss things like he did with Abraham over destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. So anyway, God chose Isaac and he did bless Ishmael. Like I say, he said 12 tribes would come through him. And again, he was not hating Ishmael. Later, the boy was only 13 or 14 and Sarah found him mocking Isaac when he was about two or three, when he was being weaned. She didn't like it. She said, now, send him away with his mother. Well, she did it out of personal vengeance, but it was God's will. He did not want Ishmael to share. And so he packed him up next day and sent him off. And then they had no water in the desert, and he was dying. They were going to thirst to death. And the angel of the Lord came and told him what to do. He didn't have no animosity toward Hagar or to Ishmael. They just weren't in this plan that he wanted. So people need not to look at those things, how God deals sometimes, because he chooses one doesn't mean he has rejected another. It's just he chooses, and he don't have to explain himself. And in his wisdom, it's a lot of things he has pre-planned and wants to carry through, and he don't tell a man all of his plans. Scripture in Deuteronomy says the things that are God's, basically implied interpreting, are not for us, none of our business. But what it says is revealed to man is ours. So that's why James said you ask and pray and you to get answers. That's what you pray for. And he said and then you don't have because you don't ask. And then when you ask, you're greedy. So you don't get. But he tells us the system, God expects people to search him out on certain things, okay? So Isaac desired his manly son, Esau. He was a hunter, and he was a man's man, and Jacob was a mama's boy, most likely. 
And he wanted him, because he was the oldest too, he wanted to put the blessing on. He knew that when he, soon before he died, he would prophesy the Lord's Spirit would come on him and he would pronounce a blessing. It was done that way. And once it was given, it could not be withdrawn. It wasn't in his will. And because he didn't listen, his wife deceived him. Again, she was misguided, but it accomplished God's purpose. He'd have done it another way. And she got paid back for it and was punished. But they deceived. She deceived her husband. Jacob deceived him because he was blind at the time. So he put some fur on his neck and put some stuff to make him smell like he'd been in the field. And his blind father reached forward before he's going to bless him to hug him. And he said, oh, this is Esau. Well, he wasn't. And then he proceeds to prophesy the blessing. And once it's done, he couldn't withdraw it because later on, Esau said, bless me, father. And he said, I can't. See, it wasn't his choice. But he was deceived. But he shouldn't have been. He should have found out God's will and said, okay, this is the one you want. So God's will is what's ultimate. Man's will, even good men, is not God's concern. So he's done this many times. Chose the second for various things over the first, okay? And we see many things God does is not man's business, and that's why he don't explain a lot. Sometime later he might. God can do and work in providence, not explaining things. He can use good and evil people. He used Sarah, her bitterness. He used Jacob's mother because she preferenced her son over Esau. And so you can see the human nature there. It had nothing to do with God. But God can use wickedness. He keeps the devil around to refine the saints. He was judged at the cross, but he won't be thrown into lake of fire until the final judgment day or when he decides. And so he doesn't waste anything. So he keeps them around. And he tests the saints. And he tests people. He draws the evil out. He lets the devil do it. He knows the devil likes it but he expects people to overcome it and to prove their loyalty. We are under a probation. And heretics and false doctrine think, oh no, it's all grace. Well, they don't know what grace is. Theirs is a blind grace. The scripture teaches grace that works. They don't have no works. They have a license to sin, they think. They go find out and be speechless at the day of judgment. They can find out it's not so. God gives grace. As he told Paul, when Paul wanted his stake and his flesh removed, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. He was saying grace is strength. So Paul could endure it. That's what he gave it to him for. And so it's the same with Christians. They're not excused. Grace and faith does not excuse. It gives you power over. So if you're still living in adultery and falling, you don't have grace. You forfeited it if you had it. And Paul makes it plain. He don't break down the this moment and that moment. He said, if you practice this kind of lifestyle, you won't make it to heaven. He don't talk about how many times you were born again, if you saw the Lord yesterday. He said, if you live this way, you won't make it to heaven. Why? Because you're not overcoming. You're not using grace to overcome the sin and the influences of sin, okay? Verse 17, now he quotes scripture. He says, for the scripture says, 
to Pharaoh and about Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the earth. People think he predestined him. Oh no, he can plan ahead of time. He sees all. He sees the past and the future. He can plan and do things without it interfering with the will of man or influencing. That's his prerogative. But we'll find later that God endured him and he put up with him and he warned him and he warned him and he didn't listen. So, so he decided I'll use him. He said, I know the kind of man he is and he hasn't listened to the grace I've given him and the mercy. So I'll, I'll just use him later a different way. That's God's right. Pharaoh was wicked. And God said, I'm going to use him for my own glory. So he can use men to display his holiness and his justice and also his wrath against the evildoer. That's his right to do that. And he wants it done at times. Now, Paul said what happened to the children of Israel when they were the whole nation could not go into the promised land, he said, because they were disobedient. They wandered for 40 years until that generation died. They're not going. He had tested them enough and they kept failing. So he decided, I'll do this my way. That's my business. And they decided the next day to go in. And Moses said, you wasted your time. See, grace has its limits. When the door is shut, and like the foolish virgins come knocking, he wouldn't open the door. He said, I don't know you. They had plenty of time. But then they ran the course, and there wasn't no time left. And that's why many people will be in hellfire. They procrastinate. They know they should get right. They're backsliders, or they have enough knowledge of Scripture to know what they should do and turn to the Lord. But, oh, I'll do it another day. I'll do it, you know, and, they, and then they drop dead, and it's, no longer feasible, they can't do it. Okay, so 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. And see, a lot of people like to take that out as if he's planned this before they were born. There's no such knowledge here. He looks at people, and he's fair, and he wills everybody to be saved, so he's not just arbitrary saying, I think I'll harden this person. He's considering many things. But he's fair and just in all of his dealings. He's merciful, long-suffering, and we're going to see this. And he desires people to live right. And he hasn't planned for anybody to go to hell. They made that choice, okay? So he can extend mercy and grace, and he can withhold it. And all are under sin and the influence of sin. And he's obligated by his nature to still be loving and patient and kind. People say, well, he don't have to. Well, he has to do what his attributes are. And he told Moses, I'm loving kindness. I'm good and gracious. And that applies to everybody. It's how they react to this that might get another reaction from God. God can dishonor those who dishonor him. He may choose then not to respect them. But it wasn't initially, it was because of their actions and them not responding to his commands and the grace that he's given. Okay, And then he will say, now he's talking to Jewish and Jewish Christians. He said, you will say to me then, this is Paul talking to them, why does he find fault? For who has resisted his will? Well, 
The problem here is God was long-suffering in dealing with Pharaoh, and he kept resisting and hardening himself against God. And so what did God do? God hardened himself toward him. See, he didn't initially make Pharaoh do this hardening. He responded to it. It wasn't his plan from the beginning of the foundation of the world. Oh, I think I'll use this person and I'll just harden him. I won't show no mercy. That's foolishness. Remember, he's just and loving and all his nature. So he considers many things. Okay. So God chose to use him after a standard. Remember, he kept getting the message from Aaron and Moses, let my people go, and he wouldn't do it. And he would get punished, and he still wouldn't listen. He'd change his mind. Well, Psalms says, I believe it's Psalms, he said he'll punish them if they keep sinning. But he said he that is often reproved stiffens his neck. He resists. He gets stubborn and rebellious. It said, and he will be cut off without remedy. So his continual resisting God's dealings, all of a sudden God resists him. He sets the limit and says, no more. That's God's privilege. But he didn't initially do that. It was because the person often was reproved, you see? He kept doing it and kept doing it. And finally, God got tired of it, okay? And so he still does that today. So he can use the wicked. He can use anybody in his providence, his planning. He's just and fair. But everything belongs to him. And the scripture will use terms we're not used to, but it says even the wicked have a plan. Hell. It will mean God originally planned because he made hell for the devil and his angels. He didn't make it for man. But man decided to side with him and get wicked and wouldn't repent. So that's where he's going. So they use terms sometimes as if it's fixed. It's not. That's the terminology and the language of the old. He said, well, he made vessels of dishonor. He didn't make them that way initially. They began to do it. And then he said, okay, I'll use them. They're mine. I can do what I please with the wicked and the righteous. Okay. So he chose not to show further mercy. And he did the same thing to the fallen angels, one third of them, and Lucifer. He chose not to give them repentance. They had a standing with God. They saw God face to face. They had everything that God intended them to have. And then they fell. So he chose not to. He took everything out of them. And so Lucifer, the son of the morning, the highest of cherubims and angels, he became the prince of darkness. Have no good in him. God removed everything of himself. They're impossible to have repentance. They probably cannot even desire it in the nature they're fixed in. The evil. But man is not like that. So when people say man's totally depraved, they're liars. If they were totally depraved, God wouldn't tell them to do things like he did Cain. If everybody's totally depraved, then they're demon-possessed and they have no will. That's not taught in Scripture. We are depraved by our nature and by what we inherited and the sin of Adam. We are influenced, but it's not total. God immediately started to deal with Adam and Eve. He didn't cast them aside like he did the angels. He started to redeem and change them and work with them. 
So he saw there was hope. He saw there could be change. And he made plans for this, okay? So he looked at them. And the angels that walked in his glory and knew him face to face far better than any human has ever in this planet, when they finally, the test was complete and they failed, a third of them, he cast them out. And they're irredeemable, okay? And the lake of fire waits for them. Remember, when Jesus cast the demons on a man, the demons spoke and said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Well, the Holy One of Israel is God. And they said, what if you come to torment us before the time? They knew there's a point in time for them to be cast into hell. And they thought maybe Jesus might do it right then. We don't, though they probably didn't have a scrapbook to look at and see how the, all the rules were. He may have made the exception and sent them into hell. They didn't know, but they were terrorized. He told them to go away, and they entered the pigs. But they were scared of him. See, because they knew judgment is coming. And they know it's irredeemable they are, okay? But one day they know, even Satan, the Bible says in tribulation, is that he'll increase his wrath knowing that his time is short. So he does have a knowledge. He tried, but when Jesus said it's finished on the cross, he was judged. He knew then, as far as he was concerned, where his destiny was. But he's going to still be mean as he could as long as he lived because it's in his nature and there's no goodness in him anymore. Okay? So God extends grace and mercy to some and some he don't. When Jesus preached among the towns and they rejected him, a lot of them as a whole, he said, woe to you. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah will fare better at the day of judgment than you will. He said, if I preached in Sodom, they were to repent it. Isn't that astounding? If I had given more grace, like I'm giving you, they would have repented. But he was dealing with them at different levels, and they were guilty, and he didn't have to show any more grace. They were given sufficient. But he was letting them know, what kind of punishment is going to come on you? You've been given grace and truth. You've been given things they weren't given, and they were wicked, and they will be punished. But if I went back there and gave them the same thing and they were given opportunity, they would have repented. Isn't that something? He didn't say they might. He said they would. Okay. So the greater judgment. He said, woe to you cities. And he pronounced judgments on them. What's going to happen to them? And the Jewish leaders that rejected him. Okay. Verse 19. So again, he said, why does God find fault? If we can't be perfect and we can keep the law the way we want, it was a Jewish question here, and he shouldn't, we're doing what we want to do, we're serving the law, he shouldn't find fault with us. And like Peter said, they distort his teachings. They were saying Paul was teaching God's is so much, got so much grace, let's sin against it to prove how gracious he is. And that sounds horrible, but that's what they were saying. Okay, so let's go to Romans 3 and 5. And still, they didn't have no understanding. So they were, they were questioning God with no spiritual understanding because they were in a sense, and they were blinded. And that was the Jewish thought, the Jewish way of thinking. But what does he say? Three, let's read five through eight. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? 
Is God unjust to inflict wrath? He said, I speak like, he's saying I'm speaking like you Jews would think. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie, through my sin, and made him more glorious, made his faith shine, then why have I judged as a sinner? They were saying we should be able to do, because we're glorifying God. (laughs) You know, anything that glorifies God is fine. So if we have to sin more to see greater grace, isn't that wonderful? That sounds like some teaching today, doesn't it? And he said, let us do evil that good may come. Does that sound familiar? It's like the people who, under grace, oh, we don't have to work. We'll just lose some rewards, but we're saved by grace. And so they think they have a license to sin. They're in the same category, and they go into the same hell, okay? And he said, as we are slanderously reported, and some affirm that we say this, Well, some of the ultra-Calvinistic teachers better read this if they don't want to end up in the lake of fire. Then he says what? Their condemnation is just. means their damnation. They're attributing. That's a form of blaspheming the spirit, attributing to God evil. Oh, God wants to display his grace and glory, so the more we sin, the more it can be done. It makes God corrupt. And he's not corrupt, and they're going to find that out at the right time. Well, let's take a break.